Welcome to the Real Money Talks podcast. When real money talks, film people listen. So, why are people all around the globe listening to the Real Money Talks podcast? Because smart money knows that before you can get your money right, you have to get your head right. That is, to be informed, not just about how to get the money, but how to put that money to work for you. There are many podcasts that feature the talent side of the movie business with celebrity interviews, etc. We are the only podcast dedicated solely to the money side of the film industry. Our mission is to help you, our listeners, gain insight directly from leaders in film finance, the movers, the shakers, the deal makers, the professionals that will provide the financial resources and talent that can bring your dreams to the screen. So let's get real. Give it up for the author, entrepreneur, inventor, your host, the money man himself, Professor Harold Lewis. Hi, welcome to episode two, the business side of the film finance business. So I'm your host, Harold Lewis, for the Real Money Talks podcast. The Real Money Talks podcast is brought to you by realmoneycourses.com. In this episode of the Real Money Podcast, we are going to talk about the size and economic impact of the film business. Why? Because understanding the scope will help us size up the opportunity and the limitations we must confront in our pursuit to be a part of this business. So let's start with the box office size. Well, according to Box Office Mojo in 2022, the box office was $7.3 billion. And that is followed by 2021 when it was $4.4 billion. And 2020, as you know, the impact of COVID, it was quite a bit less than that. It was $2.1. But in 2019, it was $11.3 billion. Now, that's just the box office. So... What we really look at when we see these numbers and over time, what you're going to find is that it's about a $12 billion business. Now, keep in mind, this is not adjusted for inflation or anything like that, but uh, $12 billion is safe to say. Now, that's just the box office. And why do I make that emphasis? That's because we look at the box office as mostly advertising for the other revenue streams. What revenue streams? Well, most of the revenue from the film business is derived not from the box office, but other sources such as home theater, pay TV, DVD sales. Yes, they still sell DVDs, airplanes, hotels, ships, etc. The truth is that in some Film entertainment is a several hundred billion dollar business. Now, how many films get released on an annual basis? 
Well, we don't have the numbers for 2022, but we do have the numbers for 2021. And that was 403 films that were theatrically released. In 2020, that number was 334. And in 2019, it was 792. Now, that's interesting because when you think about that, in the United States and Canada, which we call the North American box office, that territory, we have 43,640 different, 46 different theaters, or excuse me, screens. So 43,646 different screens. That's a lot of screens. Now, as far as employment is concerned in this business, there's about 422 thousand people employed in the movie business how many movies have ever been made how many movies that have ever been theatrically released do you have a guess do you have an idea well there's about 500,000 titles in existence and as we talked about in one of our other episodes about film schools think about this there's 118,004, excuse me, 118 four-year schools for film. So that's 118 plus all the community colleges. So you have hundreds of film schools. How many graduate from a film school each year? It's about 50,000 graduates from film school. Interestingly enough, each year there's, it's been counted that there is about 50,000 submissions, 50,000 scripts that have been submitted on an annual basis. And that's based on the Writers Guild. But our research says that it's quite a bit more, maybe even up to 100,000 in total every single year. That's not very many, uh, but however, there's not very many of those actually get made. But there's quite a bit that are submitted. Job openings. At each year, there's about 2,000 openings in the film movie business. Now, I'm not talking about directors, writers, or producers. I'm just talking about people getting a job at some of the big five like Sony or, uh, or Time Warner or something like that. But a lot of those jobs go to relatives. Now, uh, you've heard of this thing called Nepo Babies. I don't particularly agree with that type of statement. It's because it's a family business. It's not any different than if you had a hardware store or a tire store or something like that. It's the family business. And so, yeah, you know, children of different um, people in this business will probably get some of those jobs. That's why I put so much emphasis on creating a job for yourself and not waiting for someone to give you, give it to you. So what about your family? Would you like to create a film dynasty in your own family? If so, keep listening. So why are we dealing with all these stats? Simply put, Having a sober understanding of the scope of the business will help you devise a strategy of success. You will need to develop a clear path to navigate through all the obstacles to make your dreams a reality. And guess what? You can do it. It's done every day. Why not you? To help understand how a film is financed, the process can be likened to building a house. 
and obtaining financing for that. So you would have uh, in the film business or in in the housing business, you would have an architect, right? So in the film business, you would have a writer, same as an architect. In the, in the construction business, you would have a builder. In the film business, you'd have a producer. In the construction build, uh, business, you'd have a four-person or foreman four-person. In the movie business, you would have a director. In the, in the business of uh, a um, construction, you would have a craftsperson. In the film business, you would have actors. In the construction business, you would have tradespeople. You would have carpenters and various other people, electrician. In the movie business, you would have union laborers like grips, key grips, different people, hairstylists, various different ones. So it's very similar. Now, when it comes down to the financing in the film business, it's very similar to financing a new house. So let's say that you wanted to build a house. Well, you have to acquire the land, right? So the first thing you have to do is you have to acquire the land so that you can build a house on. And that's developing that property. Well, in the film business, it's very similar because you're either writing or purchasing a script. Very simple. Very similar. In the construction business, you need to get a construction loan to go ahead and build that house. In the film business, you need a production loan or production funds to finance the production of the film. Now, in the construction business, you need a long-term financing or long-term mortgage or takeout. Well, it's very similar in the film business. You need to sell your film after it has been constructed or made to a distributor or you could self-fund it. So those two businesses are very similar. Hopefully that gives you an idea of how this whole process works. But what we want to talk about right now is what are some of the barriers to success? Now, is it getting a hookup, somebody, you know, doing you a favor? Is it finding the money? Is it finding distribution? What do you think? Or perhaps it might be something else, a little bit more elusive than all of those. Let's discuss some of the common myths about the film business one at a time to find the secret to success. First myth, myth number one, getting a hookup. So if it's not the money or distribution is the problem, how about getting a hookup? Do you have to know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody? <laughs> well, do you have to go to Hollywood and hang out with the stars, become a part of the scene? You could do that, but I would say it's a fool's errand. It doesn't really work. When I lived in L.A., I used to be amazed at how many talent agents, distributors, producers, writers, and directors I met. At least they said they were. And most of them had a business card that said, with their name on it, that's with an impressive title that said they were. And yet at the same time, they could not tell me about any deals that they had done. Now, they could name drop all day long and claim to know people, 
but you could not find them as far as actually getting a deal done. I guess a nice business card and fancy title is better than just saying, hey, I'm just another wannabe player. Or maybe having that card or talking to people and going to the parties might help you in the dating scene because you can get a lot of new actors wanting to um, showcase their talent and they may want to hook up and uh, get to know people in the business. But really, you don't have to do that. The truth is, is that people are not going to help you for nothing in return. No real player in Hollywood is going to waste their time with unproven talent. Most agents will only take on a new client, and here's the caveat, if the client has already had some success. Yeah, they want to make sure that you if they uh, you have what it takes to be successful, and the only way you can do that is by already having a part. The good news is that This truth means that just because you're not in New York or Los Angeles or Atlanta, you're at no disadvantage. Myth number two, you can learn all you need to know on the Internet for free. Well, there's no doubt that the Internet is a very powerful tool to access information. However, information alone without context does not evolve into knowledge and knowledge without proper application, does not translate into wisdom. As for being free, I think we made the case already. Think about it like this. Have you ever heard of a term called the triangle of truth? So a little further on this point, this triangle of truth. Now, you're going to need your imagination, and if you're driving, uh, please do not close your eyes. But Think about it like this. Think about a triangle. Now, you know a triangle has three different points. So next to each different point, there's a word. So at the top of the triangle, you have the word good. And then on the right bottom, you have fast. And then on the left bottom, you have cheap. So you have good, fast, and cheap. Now, the triangle of truth says that you could have any combination of the two of the three things in your deal at the same time but one of them is mutually exclusive meaning that you cannot have all three at the same time here's an example you could have a deal that is good and fast but not cheap conversely you could have a deal that is fast and cheap but not good or you could have a deal that is cheap and good but not fast That is why you need knowledge ahead of time so you don't fall into the trap of the triangle of truth. You want to make sure that you get a good deal. It may not be fast, but it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg because of the immediacy of the demand or need for money. Myth three, you can't quantify creativity. So what do you think? Can you actually quantify? In other words, can you put a dollar value and creativity. Now, this issue came up one day when I asked my business partner, Brenda. Uh, I, uh, she's a longtime pioneer in the film finance business. I asked her a question. I am, um, by nature, I like statistics. 
So I asked her a question regarding whether or not there are any specific or quantifiable attributes of a film project that contributed to its success or failure that could be measured now in advance of production. In other words, could you look at the elements that you uh, uh, in a film project, a proposed project, and see whether or not those elements would tend to favor success or failure? To understand the risk to my dignity, when I talked to Brenda and asked her this question, she's a no-nonsense kind of person. So if, if she thought that it was a terrible idea, she would let you know very quickly in a loving way, but she'll let you know. So when I asked her this question, I was sure she was going to blast me with, are you out of your mind kind of response, but she didn't. When I asked her, she said, I don't know, Harold. I never thought of it. That was her answer. And I took that as a yes or maybe at least a maybe. So I ran out of the office. I uh, pulled up all of my statistical models and I called some professors from UCLA, some from Pepperdine and elsewhere. And we began to compile a lot of film information to see and test the model and see whether or not we would be able to develop a um, an algorithm that could tell in advance whether or not a person could predict whether a film would be successful or a failure before it got made. And the result was some of our financial modeling tools called Film Pro Analytics. Suffice it to say, Film Pro Analytics uh, allows you to measure risk, life cycle value, cash flow, and optimization of a project from a structure standpoint with a very high confidence level. So what does all this stuff mean? Can you imagine being able to, within a degree of certainty, identify the risk in your project and mitigate them to make your project more appealing to investors? Here's an example. Most of you are probably familiar with what a credit score is, right? You probably know what yours is. Most banks provide them on a monthly basis. They go from about 350 to 850 in most cases. Could you, so the question is, could you score a film project the same way? And the answer is, yes, you can. Now, if I said to you that a certain film project with all its elements, and when I'm talking about elements, I'm talking about scoring the, the, uh, the writer, the uh, producer, the director, the various different talent, act, actor one, actor two, the genre of the movie, the budget. You put all of these different things, in fact, about 30 different elements of a film project into an algorithm, and the score came out. If we did all of that, and the score came out to 400 would you invest in that in a $400, uh, 400 rating? You probably wouldn't, would you? Why? Because if your credit score is less than 620, and you know this, it's going to be hard getting even a low limit credit card at a decent rate. They might give you a credit card, but you're going to be paying 30, 40% on that thing. So you wouldn't want to do that. Now, let alone uh, a five asking a person for a five million dollars uh, for a movie. 
So you're going to want to make sure that you can score your movie scores very high, right? But if after analyzing all the elements of a film, it scored 750, would you invest then? Maybe, but at least it would be interesting enough to ask more questions, right? That's what Rick's Pro does. So what about cash flow? Now, when we're talking about cash flow, we're talking about when is the money going to come in? So you spent two years making your film, you put it out there in the market, it's in the theaters. When is the money going to start hitting the bank? That's what we're talking about cash flow. That's plus how much money are you going to have to put out? So before you do the film, you've already spent your budget. Maybe it's $5 million. You spent that and that money is costing you on a daily basis. So when are you going to get the money back? So not only can you pay off any loan that you have, but you can get a return on your investment. Do you think it would be helpful to know when and from what source the money is going to come from after the film is released? Of course you would. That's what Cash Flow Pro can do for your project. What could happen if before you went to find investor, investors, you had a good, probable, provable idea of what the life value, lifetime value of your project was before you made it? In other words, hey, you invest $5 million and you know that over the next 10 years, you're going to get million back. Would that help you in your negotiations with investors? Or even help you not making a bad deal that you're going to regret later by leaving too much on the table? Of course. This is exactly the information our Value Pro provides. And finally, what if you could structure a deal in such a way you could maximize your return on investment for you and your investors? by seeing how small changes in negotiating of interest rates and cost management could improve your bottom line. Do you think that would be valuable? Of course it would. Because at the end of the day, the more money you save is the more money that you can put in your pocket. Our Structure Pro allows you to clearly visualize each of your project's financial decisions. So what is the bottom line? Are these just plugs for our products? No, because you can go and have a CPA do all of this modeling technique for you. And I encourage you to do that. It's just that our products are uh, able to do the same thing at a very low cost. But that's another story. So what's the whole point of all this? The point is, while you can't measure creativity, you can, however, quantify the results of creativity and put a dollar value on it. Now, let me give you an idea. Here's a case study. It's one that I like and something that you've probably heard of recently, but this this case study actually goes back a number of years. I want to share this story uh, about a particular film that I liked and uh, I got to meet the, the director of it and Um, Now, this goes back before we had these tools available, Um, but it's still a very interesting story and that it makes the point very clearly. Now, the movie is called House Party. Now, right now there's a new house party out, but I'm talking about the original house party that was done in the 90s. 
Now, in 1992, the first movie was made for a few million dollars. I think it was $2.5 million. Now, in the studio, the studio who purchased the rights to the movie made $37 million off that $2.5 million investment. Now, the movie was made by the Hudlin brothers. They wrote and directed the film, and they only made about, it's estimated that they made about $300,000 in that movie. Now, if they had the use of these analytical tools that could predict the value of that movie over its lifetime and what the cash flows were, do you think they could have made a better deal? Do you think that they could have put more money in their pocket? Well, of course they would. A few years back, I had a conversation with Reginald Hutland. He was in my office, and he's an absolutely charming man. I really have a lot of respect for him. Very talented, him and his brother. And I asked Reggie, why did he make that deal? He said, and he was very candid, he told me, he said, look, Harold, they agreed to make my movie, and that was important to him. And he says, and they paid me more money than he had expected. But now... He wishes he could have made that movie independently and kept all that money, that $37 million in his pocket. He would have never had to work again. So this demonstrates the power of knowledge and the use of analytical tools. Just a word to the wise, you know, or those that want to be wise. Now, myth number four, all you need is the money. While money is important, it in itself will not make you successful. However, the ability to understand money, how to use it strategically, how to obtain the right type of money at the right price, all that works to help make your project a winner. As the saying goes, not all money is good money. Now, this brings us to myth number five. What do you think when you hear the word debt? Does it sound weighty? It doesn't sound good, does it? But when we're talking about debt, we're talking about loans, right? Loans for your movie. So here's the myth. The myth is debt is bad, bad, bad. It's all about equity. Now, equity is that's investment that you get from an investor. Debt is what you borrow either from a bank or an institution. Actually, when it comes to film finance, debt can be a great friend. When used properly, it can enhance your return on investment. And it helps you to retain a larger percentage of ownership of your project. Additionally, you're not responsible personally for the liability of the debt. That's right. If you structure your project as a special purpose entity or SPE, as we call it, Bankruptcy remote, you are not responsible if the film is a failure if you use all debt. Now, they may take control of your, your film, but you're not going to have to pay for that out of your pocket. Now, let me give you an example of the power of knowledge when it comes to debt versus equity. So I have a film project right here in front of me. And if you could imagine, um, I, I, I've lined it up to where you have debt an all-debt deal on the left-hand side, and on the right-hand side, you have an all-equity deal. The budget for the film is $5 million. So each of you, uh, each side has $5 million. And as you go through the process, you make a gross profit in both situations of around $10 million. 
Now, the difference comes in when you are uh, slicing up the money and you are divvying it up and giving a portion to your investor. If you give an investor a 50% ownership in your deal, you're going to have to take that $10 million and you're going to have to split it $5 million a piece, right? However, if you were able to, and I'm not saying that you can, but if you were able to borrow a, a straight $5 million and finance it that way using a loan, all of the profits or that $10 million, all of that would go directly into your pocket. All you'd have to do is pay some interest on it. Now, that's not going to happen always. But the point is, is that if you use debt strategically, you will make more money in the end. Now, let, that brings us to finding the money. So is there a shortage of money out there for films? I don't think so. Is the money hiding from filmmakers? I don't think so. Right now, there's over $30 trillion sitting on the sidelines waiting for a solid investment, making very little interest, like 1%. Can you imagine that? It's sitting there not making, it's making peanuts. And that's juxtaposed, or if you could use as an example, the film business has an average return of 20%. So why are people giving up all of that money and not investing in film? Some believe that investment in film is a risky business, but is it more risky than Bitcoin? I mean, look what has happened with FTX recently. So people are throwing money into Bitcoin to make money, yet some people find it difficult to find the money for a film that is Pretty, a pretty solid investment, especially if you went ahead and did all the risk mitigation techniques. This begs the question, if people are putting their money in insanely risky investments, why would they not invest in film? What do you think? Is film too risky? While it's true that films have some risks, you don't know that, uh, you may not know that most theatrically released films in history have always paid their principal back to investors. Now, I'm not saying it didn't take a long time because the fact is you might get your money back, but if it's a bad movie, it's going to take a long time to get your money back. Did you know that there are proven risk mitigation techniques and strategies that you can employ to reduce film risk? There are. We talked about them a little bit, but there's a whole bunch of them. So if... So if the money is there, investors are willing to take the risk, what's the problem? Now, some people wonder, is distribution the problem? Maybe the problem is not the money. Maybe is not enough distribution channels. As we talked about before, there's 40,000 screens or more. So films are getting distributed. So the capacity is there. I mean, think about it. We have so many distributors. We got Sony, Columbia, Paramount, Universal, Time Warner, Disney. Those are the big five. They command 80 to 85% of the U.S. box office. And there are hundreds of minor distributors. There are many majors. Many majors like Lionsgate or MGM. Now it's owned by Amazon. You got Styx Films. You got Amblin Partners, A24 Films. There's many independent distributors. Now, just think about this number. Over the last 
uh, a couple of decades, there's been 940 different distributors. Now, and that's true that a lot of them have merged or gone out of business, but there are a lot still there. And you're getting new ones all the time, like Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Apple. There's a lot of distributors out there. Maverick. I mean, there's a lot of them. The truth is, is there are many distributors and they're all looking for one thing, and that's content. So after all dispelling all those myths, if it's not the money, not the distribution or a hookup is not the problem, what is the biggest barrier to success? I ask this again. We say it's knowledge. When we say knowledge, we're not talking about information. Everyone has access to information. We're talking about knowledge about how the business really works, how to apply that knowledge for you and your particular project. And finally, how you can avoid the pitfalls that can bring ruin to your project. We are talking about how to turn knowledge into wisdom and wisdom into money. There is a lot of confusion and misinformation out there. For example, did you realize that there are over 30 different types of financing structures for a film? For example, there's gap financing, negative pickups, finishing funds, bridge financing, development funds, production funds, slate financing, distribution financing, Prints and ads or P&A, studio financing, equity financing, that's only 10. There's at least 20. I could go on. I haven't even mentioned the various different types of debt financing. Those are just equity financings right there. Or any talk about soft money. So you have equity, soft money, there's all different types of financing. And if that's not enough, there are at least 20 different types of it uh, of providers. Now, I'm not talking about 20 different providers. I'm talking about types of providers. There's a lot of people in the film finance business. So there's quite a bit of opportunity. So I'm talking about things and in, 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 in opportunities that you need to have access to in order for you to make your film project a success. So, but the point is, if you have the right insights and knowledge, you won't waste your time trying to talk to the wrong person about the wrong type of financing. Not, not all banks have an entertainment division. So running around trying to find out what bank is gonna lend you some money, uh, that's one strategy. But there's another strategy to find that out. How about investors? Where do you go to get the right investor? These things are important because when you think about film financing, there are three different stages of financing which you need, we call money moments that you need to be aware of before you get your project done. The first stage is the development stage. That's when you're just putting things together. You're trying to acquire the rights to a book, the rights to a, um, of a uh, script or something to that effect. After the development stage, and let's say that you're successfully, you've acquired the rights to a particular script. Now you want to go into the production stage. That's a completely different type of financing structure with several, several different ways to do it. 
And then after that, you have post-production. So what are we talking about post-production? Well, in post-production, let's just say that you have, you've finished your film and yet you want to get a couple different songs that you would like to acquire to put in your film. Well, you may need to get some finishing funds to acquire the rights to those film, those, uh, that music to put into your project. So each of these stages require multiple types of financing. A filmmaker needs to know not only what stage they're in, but also what type of financing they need, what source, and when they're going to need it. It's like this. Would you go to a chiropractor if you needed heart surgery? Well, a chiropractor is very good to have, but if you need heart surgery, that's not the person you want to go to. Would you go to a veterinarian to fill your eyeglass prescription? Well, if you had a blind dog or a dog that couldn't see, maybe, okay? But typically you wouldn't do that, would you? Would you go to a podiatrist for brain brain surgery? Nah, you wouldn't do that. Each one of these are doctors, but not all of them practice the same kind of medical service, right? They don't provide the same. It's the same thing with finance. You have a bunch of different types of financing structures, but not all people in the finance business, the film finance business, provide the same types of services. So knowledge will allow you to go to the right source for the right funding at the right time. Now, let me ask you, when should you know about your needs? When should you know about what your need is going to be? Should you do it after you're involved in, in, the, in the production side? Should it be when you're under pressure and you need to make a immediate funding decision? Or should it be all a part of your overall financial plan? How do people typically behave when they're under pressure? Are they cool, calm, and collected? Are they clear thinking? They're facing a deadline. Are they really thinking clearly at that point? Well, maybe some. But most of us are either frantic, desperate, or anxious, aren't we? This is extremely important because it has been proven that we do not make the best deals and the best decisions while under pressure. We need to be on guard because there are many people out there in the film business that will take advantage of an inexperienced and unknowing person trying to get a deal done. Experience is a great teacher, but it is the most painful teacher out there. You do not want a person to value your project more than you and you go in and make a deal and you get blindsided. You don't want that because if you got a good deal in Hollywood, most people are not gonna tell you you have one. They're gonna let you think that it's a horrible one because they smell blood. They, they sense the inexperience. And it goes back to that same point. It's no exaggeration when they call being in the movie business swimming with sharks. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but just demonstrating how knowledge can arm you. So where are you going to get this invaluable knowledge? Do you have to go back to film school? Well, we already learned that they don't teach it. Or maybe you have to go and apply and get your MBA. If you're in the film business, you're not trying to get an MBA. You're trying to make films. You could do one or more of those things. Those moves, you could do it, 
but they would be very costly. The truth is, is by listening to the Real Money Talks podcast, you will be exposed to a broad scope of world of the world of film finance and find different avenues to get your film done. However, to prepare yourself to really create wealth in the film business, and I'm just telling you the truth, there is no better way than by investing in yourself by taking the Real Money course at realmoneycourses.com where it's all laid at your fingertips. I know that that is a shameless plug, but I didn't create it for nothing. I created it for you. There you can learn the skills that you need to be able to make the right type of deals. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Money Podcast. The purpose of this episode was to familiarize you with the scope of the business and prepare you for the episodes ahead. You'll need to know the basic structures of how films are financed. And if you do, you're going to be rewarded. It will help you when following along, when we're interviewing our guests, you may be able to come up with the right questions to ask them. And as you can see, the business of film is complex, but it is accessible to you. There's no need to be intimidated, but there is a need to be informed. We will help you through the maze of options. So stay tuned with us as we guide you to success. Thank you for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Thank you for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. If there is a subject you'd like featured, please let us know. If we don't have it already scheduled, we will be sure to add it. You can reach us at info at realmoneytalks.com that's r-e-e-l moneytalks.com and don't forget to tell your friends family and business associates to tune in if you are serious about making entertainment specifically film a career path whether in front of the camera behind the camera or behind the scenes as an investor. We encourage you to visit our online campus at realmoneycourses.com. That's R-E-E-L moneycourses.com, where you can obtain accredited university and professional level finance education that will enlighten, enable, and empower you to make the film or career aspirations a reality. Real Money Talks is recorded live at the Greg Ward Studio at 993 FM. Real Money Talks is available on all leading podcast platforms. A special thanks to 993 for their foresight and support. Preston Lewis, a major contributor. Al Jones, our producer. Beverly Snipes, associate producer. Junior of Luminary Sounds, our in-house engineer. Brenda Doby Flewellen, who taught us everything we know. And a special thanks to Anup Thacker, who was the inspiration for our show. Have a great day, and please tune in for our next episode. <laughs>